Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And um, I'm delighted to see um, Jim Blake sitting in front of me. And um, I've been reading his website earlier. It's absolutely fascinating. So, um, I know along with the new book, Jim's got plenty to talk about. I'm looking very forward very much to this conversation. So, Jim, hi, good afternoon. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you. Uh, I am honored and privileged to be on your show. You're doing some great work in the world, and I'm glad to be a part of it. That's marvelous. Love it. And thank you for spending time with us. So um, I can tell by the accent that you're not from these shores. So tell us a little bit about where you're from today. Sure. So I, am, uh, I live in a, the state of Missouri in the U.S. It's right in the center of the country. Uh, I was born and raised here, been here my whole life. I had uh, a background in technology. That was my undergraduate degree. Thought I would end up on one of the coasts somewhere really cool in a tech company, but 25 years plus into it, and I've been right here the whole time. Is Missouri the uh, part of that tornado alley? Was my geography wrong? It is indeed. You're spot on. All right. Okay. Oh, very good. Um, I mean, I often in the States and I see the weather running through there and it's actually quite, quite appalling, isn't it? It has been, uh, this spring has been really odd. We went from cold and gray and rainy for a number of weeks. Uh, lots of storms, as you mentioned. Uh, in fact, the, last week we were woken up in the middle of the night about 1.30 with the tornado sirens and a pretty significant threat. And then uh, we went from that directly into 95 to 100 degree heat index, <laughs> which is what we're experiencing now. So it's a bit warm yeah. here. Now, I mean, this is apropos of nothing, but what, what are your views in terms of resilience in the weather? Do you think that people who experience extremes of weather have to build different coping strategies? They actually have to build a degree of resilience in terms of dealing with these, these events? Because some of those events you're talking about there can be quite catastrophic, can't they? Yeah. Yeah, I do indeed think that, uh, you know, just about anywhere you live, there is the threat of something in nature, whether it's, you know, wildfires or snowstorms or avalanches, tornadoes, uh, hurricanes, etc. And so I think that's part of just as you said, you know, big part of resilience is acceptance, accepting where you are, accepting what, what may or may not happen, and then establishing the proper mindset uh, for being prepared for that. And, uh, you know, preparation uh, is the key to eliminating fear. And so I think if, if uh, people can sort of accept the risks of where they are and, and prepare properly, then you can at least uh, assist in, in reducing the fear and anxiety that might come with, with uh, the weather threats. 
Yeah, that's a good tip, actually. I think acceptance is that um, that vital skill of understanding that. It's just like a stoic approach, isn't it? Which is, you know, things happen. It's what you do about them. That's that's the thing that makes the difference, isn't it? And the, yes. the thing that happens happening to everybody. Some people come out okay. Some people are a hot mess. And other people seem to be, you know, completely defined by it for the rest of their lives. So that acceptance thing is an important part to healing, I guess. It is indeed, and you touched on something there. Um, sort of our emotional and our, our emotional posture and our thoughts, really about those things, dictate our experience of it. And so, something will happen, or some things happen to you in life, whether it's just a flat tire or something common like that. It's how you uh, handle that with your thoughts and emotions going forward that sort of determine your experience of that event. Yeah. Um, you can accept it and move through it, and and still hold that the rest of your day is going to be fine. Or like, as you mentioned, you can hold on to it for the entire day and be cranky and have it impact your decision-making and how you interact with, with people throughout your day. So uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's an important uh, self-awareness skill. Yeah, it is. And it's important to understand that people do get overwhelmed, don't they? And, um, you know, I, I meet people who are coping with on 17 fronts and, you know, uh, they're taking decisions or they're being affected because, they don't realize they're overwhelmed. Their capacity to make those strong and positive choices can be flooded from time to time. And, you know, you've got to understand that about people, haven't you? That's, you've got to be kind to yourself as well as expecting a lot from yourself from time to time, which is why I like that word acceptance, because I think it, um, I think it covers that. Indeed. So, um, so Jim, tell us about, so you're in IT and obviously were you a coder or what, what, what sort of IT there is? IT is one of those big, uh, or digital is one of those big phrases, isn't it? It covers everything from yeah. Zuckerberg through to Fred so McKean, my, uh, putting a man on the moon. <laughs> my undergraduate degree was uh, started out as you, just as you suggested, it was in coding. Um, but I found that to be really isolating early on. And so I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but this was in, in the early 90s, and um, we were moving more into distributed computing with PCs and away from mainframes and mid-ranges. And as I mentioned, coding was a little isolated. And with these new devices, as it were, uh, the internet things coming online, there was this opportunity to move into sort of network communication. So how all these devices communicate with one another and, and things of that nature. So I, I really got into that. It was much more social for me, uh, much more big picture. So my whole career sort of took on that direction. And then over the years, I've done just about everything uh, from leading teams that are coding to the network stuff to uh, just general IT and application support until uh, 2016, which is where I returned to the organization that I'm with now, Unity World Headquarters. It is a 125-year-old uh, spiritual non-denominational spiritual nonprofit, and I was uh, asked to to uh, come back, I had served here once before in the role of CEO. So it's my first time uh, CEO role uh, for a nonprofit. So interesting jump from uh, from IT to, to nonprofit, but uh, it's been a good one. Yeah, and people don't understand often that being a CEO of a nonprofit involves volunteers and herding cats and sorting out funding and such like. It's, it's actually a much more um, difficult, or much more, complex role in the CEO of a commercial organization, isn't it? It has, it has elements of really being able to flex your leadership muscles. I think a lot of CEOs of corporates struggle when they move to a nonprofit, don't they? So I wonder if your background helped you with all that logical programming, project management type work. 
It actually did. And I'll tell you the, the last couple of places I served before I came back to Unity, one was a uh, global leading uh, multi-billion dollar energy company. And so they're in the business of doing smart meters uh, for water, gas, and electric, and taking all that data and then dispersing it out to, to utilities all over the country. The being number one in the space, though, is where I learned so much. I'd always wanted to work for a global leader, and I learned so much about what it takes to be a global leader and sort of uh, maintain that spot. But the, the most powerful things I took away from there was their commitment to innovation and uh, their dedication to sort of new product development. And so there was a ton that I learned about the practice of innovation and how you have to stay committed to it, um, as well as uh, talent. I mean, talent being one of the number one things that 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 uh, really makes a global leader um, so powerful in the first place. It's bringing on good talent and then allowing them to spread their wings and and do what they do. And so uh, that that innovation has served me well. When you're talking about a hundred and twenty five plus year old uh, nonprofit that hasn't done a lot of innovation, it was really uh, powerful for me to, for me to be able to use that experience to sort of begin to uh, apply a whole new set of thinking to how this organization does its work. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, and the, there's, there's, a, there's a book in that, but I know you've written another book, but there's certainly a book in that. <laughs> certainly, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes that sort of change piece is actually quite hard, how you begin to unshackle and, and get things moving. I think innovation is the key. I've worked in this area myself many times. And that area of just being able to get people to loosen their thoughts. It's, it's, you know, if you talk about acceptance, if you can't loosen your thoughts and be innovative, the two things go together, don't they? You, you see this sort of um, fragility in people's thinking because they're not used to innovating and they're not used to dealing with adversity. And I think it's the mental construct is really important there, I, I think, anyway. But, but I was very taken with what you said about a non-denominational spiritual organization. So a lot of people confuse spirituality with religion. Um, right. Do you want to clear that up for us? I can. So in this particular case, um, Unity sits under an umbrella of uh, teachings called New Thought. And these were all, uh, I would say they hit the scene in the late 1800s and really exploded. And uh, this, this starts as, as early as Phineas Quimby uh, and some of those um, trailblazers, if you will, in terms of it's largely ancient principles um, that were taken from the East. And, and this new thought family emerged, unity being one. There's another one called Centers for Spiritual Living. Um, if you're familiar with Reverend Dr. Michael Beckwith uh, of the Agape International Center. Um, so this is a family, if you will, of these traditions that uh, are sort of based on spiritual principles that directly relate to what we talked about earlier, your emotions and your thoughts and how those help create the experience that you have uh, of your life as it unfolds. And so... Um, in all of these new thought areas or traditions, I will say that the distinction between them and religion is these, these are principles and laws and spiritual laws that, that work. There's not a lot of dogma associated with it. In fact, the founders of Unity, for instance, didn't want to be classified as religion. In fact, they were even afraid to, mm -hmm. to have churches start because they didn't want um, the teachings to turn into dogma. They wanted them to continue to evolve over time. Um, and there was just a lot of things about religion that didn't necessarily fit with sort of the evolution of, of these ancient principles that they wanted to put forth. And so um, we deal with, uh, I'll just say at Unity, we provide a lot of tools and resources 
that are practical. So if you go to the website today, you'll find sections on healing, on grief, on prosperity, on addiction. So it's dealing with everyday problems, but it's allowing you to look at them from a spiritual perspective, not necessarily shrouded in any particular religion, but taking truths from all of the, the major traditions, uh, even from the East. So Hinduism and Buddhism, um, certainly Christianity and others. And I see you've very cleverly taken the idea of Zen and um, applied it to sort of leadership and the working world and written something called the, the Zen Executive. So tell us a bit about that. Well, uh, there's a lot in the book, but it, it honestly is, is a little bit um, about, well, it's an outpicturing of what happened to me during my corporate experience. And so there's three major sections. The first major section of the book, probably the first third, is really about self-care. So it's about uh, getting in touch with how your feelings and emotions impact your experience of life and also how you can better care for yourself. Uh, so you think about, and this is often we take this for granted, but you think about a professional athlete, right? And, and their job is to be in peak shape so that they can achieve peak performance. So we often think, well, that's just for them. But the truth is, the more that we care for ourselves in mind, body, and spirit, the better we're able to perform, the better we show up uh, in, in life. If we show up stressed out and angry, that impacts our decision-making. It has a ripple effect of the relationships around us. And so this same philosophy we can adopt uh, just in our own world, and it, and it makes a world of difference. I'd say the second part of the book, uh, there's a lot in there about the intersection of, of what I call best business practices and some of these universal spiritual True. So many people feel like they have to compartmentalize when I'm at work, I'm this person, uh, but truly I'm deeply spiritual and I can't, you know, I forever cannot combine the two. And so I've, I've, I've provided a pathway uh, and some examples for how the two can be combined and uh, you can bring your whole self uh, to your work. And then lastly, uh, a major focus of the book is just, it's just a, uh, as you mentioned, and that's in the title, it's all about leadership. It's understanding leadership from a new perspective. Uh, I would say bringing to bear compassion, empathy, and well-being, not only for yourself, but for those that you serve with. Uh, for so many uh, years, at least here, decades here in this country, you know, there's this fear that uh, people can't have fun at work, you can't be good to people, you can't treat them, you have to treat them, you have to use fear and intimidation and command and control to be a good leader, uh, but you can actually do it the other way and you'll find the results to be even better because when a person feels safe and heard and appreciated, they're going to be much more productive than if they are in fear and stress uh, around their work. I hope that makes sense. Yes, and um, interesting. Where do you start with that? Uh, but that's that last point is really interesting in the sense that I think people confuse, and, uh, and certainly in my own leadership work, I think people confuse that message about being safe, heard, and appreciated as being soft, woolly, and non-accountable. But those things are not true. You know, people need still to be measured because they need to show they're doing a good job. They need to be encouraged. They need to have their potential, you know, understood and maximized. So it's not, for me, this leadership thing is not about just letting people run riot and have a lovely time. Um, I don't know where you sit on that. No, you are spot on. That's the whole, the, the, one of the major points of the book is just that. You can still hold people accountable. You still don't have to tolerate um, non-conforming behavior. 
but you can do it in a way that, that has compassion and respect. You can hold people accountable in a respectful way and transparently. Um, you know, it's not necessarily all about demeaning and like I said, intimidation in terms of how you lead people to, uh, to bring out their best in terms of their performance. Yes. I mean, I've, I've found in, in my entire career that people know when they're doing a good job or not. What they don't know is what they're capable of because normally you can see that they're capable of so much more. And I think it's often the job of the leader to do is to hold that lens up and say, you know, you're doing this, and that's great, but you could be this. And, um, and some people find that extraordinarily threatening. It's that point of acceptance, isn't it? Some people, I feel that's too challenging. It's too bullying. It's too patronizing. But that's their choice, isn't it? And the job of the leader is still to hold that lens up because that's what you have to do. It is indeed. And that, uh, that speaks directly to, as you're, as you're alluding to it, seeing the potential in someone and then helping them to see it too. And at some point in time, we've all established our own ceilings because of our own limited beliefs about ourselves, whether we're insecure about uh, or have some fear about, you know, taking a step of the next step. I mean, certainly I had my own challenges. First time CEO, when I stepped into this role after being in the technology industry for so long, you know, one of the things that uh, it was challenging for me is I had this set of leadership principles and things I believed about creating a culture and I had certainly done it on a small scale in some of these organizations, but now I have the opportunity to do it on a large scale. Uh, and, and being the CEO, um, certainly I had my own, my own set of fear and reservations around it. And there, were a there was a time where I considered not doing it. And, but when I really sort of got quiet and, and did my own reflection, it was about my fear and my own ceiling uh, limitations that I established for myself. And so I finally got to a place where I could get to a yes and and stepped into it. So I think we all have the opportunity to sort of reflect on why we may be having a no reaction to an opportunity. And if it's something we can step past and, and get to a yes, it could be one of the most powerful transformations for us uh, yes. in our life and in our career. Now, you also touched on something that's quite interesting. And, and for people who are interested, um, uh, the book, whilst it's called the Zen Executive, you don't find it at that website. You find it at I, IamJimBlake.com, which is very good. Isn't there a film called, is it I Am Daniel Blake? Is it something like that? But you're Jim Blake, aren't you? So we know the difference. That's good. Um, <laughs> um, but talk to me a little bit about that thing that you touched on a bit, Jim. Um, because I wrestle with this bring your whole self to work thing. Uh, I've listened to lots of people who advocate this, Jordan Peterson in tears, you know, talking about it. Um, I mean, I believe that actually you don't necessarily need to bring all of yourself to work. So, um, so talk to me a little bit about your thinking around this. Yeah, I, I, I certainly understand what you're saying in terms of not bringing, you know, all of yourself to work. But I guess what I'm trying to advocate for is some of the things we're doing at work uh, are in alignment with some of the things that, it, that uh, exist in our spiritual life. And so some of the things that we just talked about, compassion and empathy and, and hear, deeply listening to others. Um, but but the, the idea that work just has to be work and that I can't bring forth some of what I believe in terms of my own spirituality um, you don't necessarily have to put it on blast. I'm not advocating that you go in and start preaching <laughs> to your teams and colleagues, but I am suggesting that as individuals, we can bring a spiritual approach to our work. We can bring the posture of service into 
uh, what we're doing and how we're doing it. And our reasons and motivations that inspire us internally, we don't necessarily need to share with everyone, but we don't need to exclude them from the workplace, I guess is, is what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Yes, uh, but how? How do we do that? Well, um, so for instance, the this idea of, um, in the book, I talk a little bit about servant leadership. I talk about your, it's really an approach, I guess, is what I would say. It's if you can bring the same spiritual posture you would bring in your most comfortable setting to the office and how you treat people, how you approach your work, how you endeavor to inspire others. So it's looking at the work and saying, okay, what can, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a simple example, I think. Um, many people are familiar with call centers or contact centers. And there's a basic measurement in contact centers called the answered call rate. And what that, what that metric is, it's about the number of calls we receive and what percentage of those are we able to answer before they hang up or disconnect uh, or we drop the call, right? And so you could go to your team and say, hey, we need to really focus on our answered call rate and this number. It's all about these numbers and this measurement. Or you could change the lens a little bit on this, on this particular metric and say, what happened? Look at it from the perspective of if we are increasing our answered call rate, we're actually serving more people, we're helping more people. And so then the dialogue becomes, hey, let's work on getting this to a place where we can help and serve more people. The more we focus on these things, the greater our answer call rate, which means we're able to help more people. And so you've just taken this sort of numerical measurement that's yeah. hard and cold and you've turned it into an endeavor of service in terms of helping more people. Does that help? So, so you're almost talking about the Simon Sinek idea about finding the why. So you find exactly. the context and then you can understand the meaning of the work that you're doing. Exactly. Great. Oh, that makes sense. Excellent. Yeah. Because I think some, some people, again, confuse this idea of bringing your whole self to work, which is lovely when you're good and you're a nice person. But if you're a narcissistic, evil son of a what's it, then, you know, we don't really want that at work. And I think people confuse that, don't you? So I yeah. think your, your link to meaning, I think, makes much more sense. There. That's good. Yeah. And that's a that's a really great point. And um, I talk about some of these things in the book to 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 help with even that. And so. One of the things I talk about is every organization has values. We all, we all read them when we first start and we understand that they're there and then we maybe not give them a second look. But um, what I talk about in the book is, is the, the methodology of including this value set, whatever they are, in the performance management system. And so you're not only rating, let's just call him Joe, on his performance and how he does his job, but you're also able to rate Joe and give him feedback on how well he is um, exhibiting or modeling the values you set forth. And the reason that becomes important is because we've probably all worked in a space where someone will, you know, have an interaction with Joe that's highly unpleasant. And it actually sort of creates a toxic ripple wherever he goes in your organization, which is really unhealthy for the culture. But the feedback in, in the past has always been, well, that's just Joe, you'll get used to it. Mm. Well, when you have these values as a part of the performance management system, now you don't have to tolerate that. You can find someone who can do the job, but is not toxic and not creating, you know, sort of a ne negative ripple effect through your organization. And so there are things, techniques like that that you can incorporate to help, um, help isolate those folks and maybe invite them to find a seat on a different bus because they're not a good fit for your culture. 
Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds like it's full, it's full of practical things, which I think you as a leader and I as a leader, having been leaders, know that's what people are really looking for to see the answers and ideas and solutions and provocations. What we don't want is hours and hours and hours of um, homily or worthy sort of corporate jargon. Um, maybe that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> No, I think you're right. And then and, and the whole, uh, the book is structured just that way. In fact, the subtitle is Gems of Wisdom for Enlightened Leadership. And at the end of every section, there is a list of the sort of takeaway gems or the practical tools and resources and ideas that you can go and then incorporate into your oh, life good. as an individual or as a leader. So tell me where I can get hold of this fantastic new tome. Um, so at I, you mentioned it earlier, www.iamjimblake.com is really focused uh, on the book and its contents. Or uh, if you're interested in exploring um, Unity, the place where I serve now that we talked a little bit about, it's you can be found at unity.org uh, in the shopping area. Right. And I've just found it on amazon.co.uk. It came out uh, last month. And um, I'm guessing it must be on .com. Yes, sir. Very good. And on all good bookshops, I'm, I know the, that usual phrases are on all new, all good Kindle readers. Um, brilliant. Jim, uh, really interesting. Uh, thank you. I think that's a really practical um, approach. And um, I think this, I think you're, that, that antidote to, to the spirituality thing is quite interesting because a lot of people go down that track of soft, fluffy woo-woo and there's nothing the matter with it. But you've, I love the way you've sort of linked your corporate um practical sort of um well result yeah sort of the fact that you've actually generate results in the real world i think that that actually really illustrates the how you can use that in the real world yes thank you very much brilliant well look thank you so much for your time and i really enjoyed chatting with you today and um good luck with the book and uh and with unity and um thanks ever, ever so much Thank you. It was, again, uh, an honor and a privilege to be with you. And uh, I'll look forward to connecting with you again sometime soon. Let's do that. You take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.